Welcome to New Creation, a home for the creative community of Los Angeles. For more information, visit our website at newcreationla.com. And now, the sermon. I started planning this series, uh, this new series that we began today a couple months ago. And uh, it was about a month into the COVID crisis. And I started to pray about uh, this next series, the series we're starting today. What would come after our question series? And I would pray, Lord, what would you have me preach to your people in the months to come? And had some conversations around that very question. And came up uh, with this. Uh, in light of all that's happening, I thought uh, a series on looking at a biblical account of a city destroyed and moving into a biblical account of a city being rebuilt. And so uh, we've got this great graphic that Abby did, a city destroyed, a city rebuilt. And so this current study is going to go through uh, two books, the book of Habakkuk and the book of Nehemiah. And so Habakkuk is a book about uh, a city being destroyed. And the prophet Habakkuk receives an oracle, a vision from God. And uh, it's a warning about what is coming. And it is terrible. And so the book wrestles with this question of how can God allow suffering? And how are we to respond when in the midst of suffering. And then the second book is the book of uh, a city being rebuilt, the book of Nehemiah. And so in that book, the people are returning from exile. And it shows the story of how they rebuild coming out of exile. And so I thought these two books um, would be so appropriate, but how crazy is it that Two months later, they're even more appropriate uh, for the time that we're in. And so there's a lot of continuity, I believe, in these stories with our present situation. But yet there is a lot of differences as well. So I think that we can learn a ton from these books. Uh, but we also have to realize some big differences. And they don't correlate uh, to our situation one-to-one. -one, and we'll talk about that more as the series unfolds. So with that, let's dig in. Habakkuk. Uh, Habakkuk is a prophet. What is a prophet? A prophet is a mouthpiece for God. A prophet's job is to communicate the message that God gives. Now, sometimes that is foretelling it's saying, here is what's uh, coming in the future. And sometimes it's foretelling. It's warning. It's saying, if you don't turn from your ways, this will happen. So it's not always a prediction of the future that God gives the prophet. Sometimes it's a warning and a picture of this will come if you don't turn back to God. And so the way that the prophet works is the prophet is always looking backward and always looking forward. And so again, 
Uh, a prophet is not a fortune teller. It's not a reader of what's coming in the future. And um, a good example of that warning type of prophet would be Jonah. If you remember the story, Jonah and the whale. So Jonah goes and warns Nineveh that they're going to be overthrown, that destruction is coming unless they turn from their evil. And they did. They turned from their evil and God relented and there was no disaster. Okay, so um, again, going to the prophet looking forward, looking back. Uh, in our own uh, prophetic account here, if we look at verse 2 and verse 4 of Habakkuk chapter 1, we'll see that uh, the prophet is looking back. And so if we uh, look at those two verses, we see in verse 2, How long, O Lord, shall I cry for help, and you will not hear, or cry to you violence, and you will not save? That line, you will not save. The prophet's expectation is for salvation. That is the story of God. That is what he does. God saves. And so this is a look back to the Exodus. And we see the same thing in verse 4. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. And so the law here is referring to God's law, the law that was given to Moses. And so we see the prophet looking back, looking back at God's salvation, looking back at God's law as he gave it to Moses and his people. But it's also looking forward. And so in our story in Habakkuk, we see that there's a message that things are bad, but they're going to get worse. And imagine a couple months ago, at the beginning of the COVID crisis, getting that message. Yes, I know things are bad now, but they're going to get worse. That's what happened. And uh, again, makes this, this book even more poignant for us. What do we do when we're already crying out to God, things are bad, and then we see things get even worse? And so Habakkuk the prophet is given an oracle. And the, the word that used, uh, that's used for oracle is a common word uh, in Hebrew that actually means burden. And so you can see how that works, that uh, God gives Habakkuk this vision, and it is a burden. The oracle, the burden that Habakkuk the prophet saw and so Habakkuk gets this picture, here's what's coming, and guess what? You have to share it. You have to tell what's coming. What a burden that is on the prophet. How uh, uh, fun a job is that, to have to tell the people this disaster that is coming. And so the oracle here, uh, what's amazing is that it involves both the questions and the answers. Part of the oracle is actually Habakkuk questioning God, wrestling with God, and then God responding to it. And so that wrestling, that questioning, actually leads to something very beautiful at the end of Habakkuk, which we'll come to in the next couple weeks.
And so I want to also give you a little bit of context to this book. So political context. Um, the time of all of this, uh, what ba uh, Habakkuk is referring to in his prophecy is the invasion of Judah, which began in 605 BC. And so we don't have an exact date for when this book was written, but it's sometime before that. Most scholars think probably around 1620 this may have been written. Uh, but again, there is no exact date for it. And so uh, Israel, God's people, and especially in Judah, have been um, ruled by a string of corrupt kings. Uh, you see their stories in, uh, in 2 Kings, Manasseh and Ammon. Uh, are the kings uh, during that time. And kind of the political landscape of that time, we have the Assyrians, and they've been the dominant power in the region, in the Near East region. And they had been ruling Judah. They had been ruling God's people with a heavy hand for a 100 years. But the Assyrians were actually beginning to weaken in power and the Babylonians were starting to rise up. So the Babylonians, uh, also called the Chaldeans, uh, we see them uh, that they are starting to rise in power as the Assyrians are beginning to weaken. So the spiritual uh, landscape of this story is that God's people are morally and spiritually corrupt. They are worshiping another god, a false god. They're worshiping Baal. They are dedicating their horses to the so-called sun god. Now, this is really awful. They are practicing child sacrifice and sacrificing their children to the false god Moloch. And they have allowed the temple, which is the very place of God's presence, to fall into ruin. So they are spiritually in a terrible, terrible place. So with that, let's take a look now at Habakkuk's complaint. Uh, so this is, we'll see in verses two through four of chapter one. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteousness. So justice goes forth perverted. Okay, what a complaint. And so the heart of this complaint is this. God, do you not hear? Can you not hear what's going on? God, do you not see? God, why are you not acting in the midst of all of this? God, do you not care? And again, if we go to the, the apex of the Old Testament, the Exodus, we see that God communicates that he does hear, that he does see, that he does know, and that he does act. 
because he does care. And so Habakkuk has some really good questions here in light of all that's going on and who you've proclaimed yourself to be. Do you not hear? Do you not see? Do you not, why are you not acting? Are you not caring? So again, with all of that, Habakkuk is saying, I know how God has acted in history. And this makes no sense. God's people are supposed to represent him in the world. How could he allow this? And so his complaint is, how long? Lord, how long are you going to allow this to continue? We've seen God's people that they are living in a land of oppression, and they've been living under this heavy hand of the Assyrians for a hundred years. And Habakkuk's complaint is actually this. God is not being represented rightly. Now, does that maybe even feel like a disconnect to you? Habakkuk, shouldn't you be concerned about the Assyrians and the oppression over us? Do, do you have some kind of disconnect to what, what's going on around you? But there is no disconnect for Habakkuk here because Habakkuk knows that the hope for the world is that people would encounter and embrace the living God. If that happens, Assyria, Babylon, the Chaldeans, they are no longer an issue if they come into contact with the living God. So his complaint is the exact right complaint because he knows that that is the answer to all that's going on around him. For God to be represented and for the people of the world to come in contact with God's people, come in contact with God's character, come in contact with God's heart. Now, at the time of Jesus, if we go a little forward in the story, we see a different people oppressing. It is Rome that is oppressing God's people. And the answer to the question of Rome's oppression was not how are we going to overpower Rome, but rather how are we going to convert Rome? How will Rome's heart be changed? And that's what eventually happens that Rome is conquered through faith. They no longer oppress because they've come to know God. That's the answer for Habakkuk. That's the answer for Rome. And that is the answer for us in our own time. Our problems are ultimately dealt with only by people encountering Jesus. And that means the church has this incredible responsibility to bring God to the world, to offer the hope of the gospel in Jesus Christ to those around us. It's to live out God's character. It's to live out his passions. As Jack prayed for us a little earlier, it's to love justice. It's to do mercy. It's to walk humbly.
When we live those things out as the church, people will begin to encounter God. And things can only change if that happens, if people encounter Jesus Christ. Okay, so there's the the complaint. Now, how does God respond? I uh, I want you to listen to these verses one more time. Uh, Verses 5 through 11. God responds to Habakkuk and he says, Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence. All their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on guilty men whose own might is their God. Wow. Okay, so Habakkuk makes this complaint, and this is God's response. He says, you're not even going to believe what I'm about to tell you. I've heard your complaint, and guess what I'm doing? I'm sending in the oppressor. Not the Assyrians, the up-and-coming oppressors, who are even worse. They're worse than the Assyrians. They are bitter. They are nasty. They seize what's not theirs. Their justice is not from me. They look only to themselves. They are fast. They are fierce. And they devour. They are violent and they will take you captive back to their land. And they worship, not me, they worship their own might. Well, thanks for that response, God. How tough would that be for Habakkuk to hear? Here's my complaint. This is your response? What? How is that a comfort? My complaint is things are terrible. How long are you going to let this go on? And your response is, things are going to get even worse, and I'm allowing it. What on earth? How do we make sense of this? Well, I think one of the things that's helpful is looking at where we are in the story. We've got to remember how the story begins. That the story begins with God creating a perfect paradise. No sin, no death, no mourning, no crying, no oppressing. But the world broke 
And how did it break? It broke because of mankind's rebellion against God. And so pain, suffering, injustice, oppression, death, those are the fruits of rebellion against God. God's promise in light of all that is to end those things, to undo those things. And that is how the story of the Bible ends. God eradicates all evil. He undoes all wrong, all pain, all suffering, all death even. And so God's plan to end rebellion started with creating a people, a people to represent God to the world and to model what it looks like to be in right relationship with him after this rebellion that had taken place. And so what we see in Habakkuk is that God's people are failing in that mission. They're failing terribly. Their hearts are far from God. They are misrepresenting God to the world. They are defiling the name of God in their worship and even in their morality, maybe especially, I don't know, they're both horrible um, in how they're misrepresenting. And so that helps us then to understand God's justice. When God's people rebel and misrepresent him, he cannot stand idle. His reputation is at stake. The good of the world is at stake. And so God must correct his people and set them back on course. And so a slap on the wrist here is not going to get it done. And this should be no surprise to God's people because God promised his people that if they strayed from their vocation, their calling of revealing his heart and character to the world, that God would discipline them, that God would correct their course. And so the mission of God is so important that God is absolutely just to use any means necessary to bring them back. He can even take what is meant for evil and use it for good. He can take even the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, their evil pursuit of people and property, and he can use that pursuit for good, bringing his people back to their mission, to their calling. And that, my friends, is the heart of the gospel, of the good news, the climax of the biblical story is the death of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah. He is killed, an innocent man without sin. He is killed with evil intent, and yet God uses it for good. Jesus allowed himself to be killed, to be sacrificed, to pay the debt for our sin. And so this evil act of crucifying the Son of God becomes the act of most beauty 
it becomes the act of most good because of how God uses that act for his good. And so we see in the story of Habakkuk, God's wrath being poured out, and rightly so. But here's the thing, that God's judgment and discipline doesn't fix the problem of sin with his people. What is needed is God's judgment fully and finally on sin. And so Habakkuk shows us God's wrath poured out on Judah. And yet that is just a picture of how God would ultimately pour out his wrath fully and finally on his own son, on Jesus Christ. At the cross, God's justice and God's judgment is satisfied fully and finally for all those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Jesus has paid the price for our sin, which means we no longer have to fear God's judgment. Jesus, in his life, in his perfect life lived, is a perfect reflection of God to the world. Why? Because he is God. And that's why he alone is able to live a perfect life. And so now, if we want to point people to God's heart, to God's character, we point them to Jesus. Jesus is the perfect prophet. He is the perfect mouthpiece of God. And he's also the perfect king as he leads his people and models the relationship with God. And he is also the perfect priest who offers himself as a sacrifice for sin. And so now, because of what Jesus has accomplished, God's blessing belongs to his people. It is now secured in Jesus through his life, death, and resurrection. And so that means that God's blessing is not based on our performance, but rather Jesus's performance. Isn't that good news? And God doesn't stop there. The gospel tells us this, that through the work of Jesus, as we are united to him, he transforms our hearts. So does having God's blessing mean that we can just live like Judah was, misrepresenting God? Of course not. The work of God through Jesus Christ is a work on our hearts that he is doing, and it's a lifelong work. His promise is to give us new hearts that want to follow him, that want to obey him. And so the saving work of Jesus is a transforming work on our hearts. And at the same time, he is also a loving father that disciplines. God in his love still corrects us when we veer off course in our vocation to reflect him to the world. 
but his discipline is not something that we have to live in terror of. But rather, it is to be a comfort to us that God will straighten us back, that he will pull us back. It's the words of Psalm 23. Your rod and your staff are a comfort to me. They shall comfort to me. Okay, so what do we do with all of this? I want to give us a few things here. Our situation now and God's goodness. By looking at Habakkuk, we need to be reminded that our situation, our circumstances are not the barometer for God's goodness. We must trust his ability to use what is meant for evil to be used for good. He works in ways that transcend our understanding. Where we cannot understand, we have to trust. And our trust is not some just blind trust. It's rooted in what has already been revealed in the scriptures. And it's rooted in what God is promising for the future. And so our trust, just like the prophet, looks back and it looks forward. And so that also means that this question that Habakkuk asks is still an appropriate question for us to ask. How much longer? God allows us, he invites us to wrestle with him, to lament and question. And again, spoiler alert, where Habakkuk's questions and wrestling with God leads to is beautiful worship. It is right for us to lament the injustices of this world, the violence, the destruction around us. And Habakkuk rightly shows us that the answer is for people to encounter the living God, to encounter him through Jesus Christ, his son. And so our comfort is that God has heard, that God has seen, that God knows, that God cares, that God acts because he came in Christ Jesus to live the life that we never could and to die the death that we deserve. He's risen from the grave to give us new life and new hearts to live for him here and now. And so we must renew our vocation, our calling to represent him to the world, especially in the midst of all the sin and brokenness and evil of the world in order to point them to Jesus. If you want to know the heart of God, the character of God, the hope of God, Look to Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your word today. These words that were written over 2,000 years ago, almost 3,000 years ago, and are still so poignant for us today. So Lord, help us to 
uh, live out our vocation, our calling to point the world to Jesus. Lord, we pray that the world would see your heart, your character through him in his life, death, and resurrection. Lord, help us as a people to live out our calling for justice and mercy and humility. Lord, give us the comfort of knowing that we don't have to fear judgment. Lord, that your discipline may come to us and that that is a comfort of knowing that you will always veer us back to the right course. And so, Lord, where we are out of accord with your calling, Lord, veer us back. Bring us back. And, Lord, I pray that as a church, as a people, we would live this out. As we gather, even over, over Zoom and, at, and electronically here, that, Lord, you would equip us to scatter in the week to come, to be your hands and feet, to share the hope of Jesus Christ to the world. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this sermon and encourage you to become a regular member of our online community. To find out more about the church, visit our website at newcreationla.com.